0: Welcome to the Natural Heart Podcast, we bring awareness a sustainable health in business hustle space. Natural Heart Podcast is perfect for the high-performing, business-minded individuals who want to work with their biochemistry to achieve success and optimal health. It's Friday, which means it's time for friends sharing facts about health, business, and overall success. Today's episode, we talk to Hannah Wendt. Hannah has a long-life passion for longevity and breakthrough, disruptive technologies that drive radical improvement to the human condition. She attended the University of Kentucky and graduated with a degree in biology. During that time, she had multiple research internships studying cell signalling and cell biology. After graduating, she worked for the International Peptide Society as their director of research and content. Through work in the integrative medicine industry, Hannah saw an opportunity for methylation-based aging diagnosis and started True Diagnostics in 2020. True Diagnostics is a company focusing on methylation, array-based diagnostic, for life extension, and preventive healthcare servicing functional medicine providers. It has committed to research over 30 approved clinical trials investigating the epigenetic methylation changes of longevity and health interventions. Hannah has since created Everything Epigenetics, where she shares insights on how DNA regulations has an impact on your health. Hannah loves to read and she's just now reading Harry Potter though. She's left handed and has a Bernese mountain dog Eve. Welcome to the Natural Health Podcast, Hannah.
1: You know, um I'm I've always been a big reader and but I, I guess most recently I've gotten more into the um you know, the, the sci-fi world. I, I I don't know if you've ever heard of the, um, books, the, the name of the wind, uh, by, by Patrick, uh, Ruthius. So his is like a, a Harry Potter for young adults almost. So I actually read that first before Harry Potter. And since I liked that so much, I was like, well, I guess I'll just start with the basics and and read Harry Potter. So I'm on the, the second to last book. (laughs)
0: <laughs> thanks for sharing that with us Hannah. I love that. Um, look uh, to get started, I want to know a little bit more about you and I'm pretty sure the audience wants to know more about you um what what have been the key turning points and what got you so interested in um, methylation and DNA and all these things? What happened in your life to get you where you are today Hannah?
1: Yeah, that is you know such a such an intriguing question more about the the journey of where I got to where I am today. So like you said in my, my introduction, I've done some cell signaling work and, and cell biology work at the University of Kentucky here in, in Lexington. And afterwards I, I actually wanted to take a different route and become a genetic counselor. So I think in a journey in, in our journey a lot of times we discuss um, you know, the accomplishments to, to where we got to where uh you know, where we are today. I think one of my setbacks actually led me to where I I, I am today. So I, I applied to genetic counseling school, unfortunately did did not get in, chose to not reapply the the following year and really ended up taking a position in an integrative pharmacy space where um, I I worked as really, again, more of that director of content and and research and and got into the International Peptide Society. So, you know, when one door closed, a couple other opened and I got introduced to this functional medicine space. And um, in the pharmacy, we did really unique peptide products um, and needed a way to measure the efficacy of how those peptide products worked. So instead of waiting for a 40-year longitudinal trial to actually measure that effectiveness, we noticed that the epigenetic methylation testing in those biological age outcomes could actually affect the, the effectiveness before and after in a really short time period. So when really those interventional trials started to come out, which was at the end of 2019, we completely switched gears and started to get into that methylation space. Um, and, and we already had that integrative functional preventative medicine audience for this type of testing. So it just it worked out. It, it was a really great synergistic opportunity where we took one thing we created um, and, and used it with an audience that we already had.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. And like you said, when one door closes – Another one opens, and I love your attitude towards that. <laughs> uh, I, I love that. So, so what? So you opened up Truganini um, in 2020. What was the? Were you? Did you have a dream? Was it always a dream as a child to do this? Was it just that it fell on your lap? What was it? What gave you that passion to actually start it and go ahead with it all?
1: Yeah, I. The the really triggering point that created True Diagnostic to get a little bit more into the weeds there is there was a trial that came out, I I mentioned in 2019, called the TRIM trial, T-R-I-I-M, where they actually use um, growth hormone metformin and DHEA. And that is the first epigenetic methylation trial, interventional trial, where they saw a reversal in those age markers. So when they saw a reversal that is when we actually said, okay, wow, this can actually measure if things are working in our regimen or if they're not. So epigenetic methylation, which I know we'll get into, has been around for quite some time. Um, but it was at that point in 2019, in August, again, trim trial, T-R-I-I-M by Dr. Greg Bay out of UCLA, um, I think really started to turn heads in the space um and 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 answered the question um about a biomarker about there being a biomarker for aging
0: yeah and and that study has gone around multiple times and a lot of people refer to it um it's actually a huge one and what i'll do is i'll also link it into the um notes so people can access it Mm -hmm. um i I absolutely love that so um here Mm -hmm. on the podcast uh we're going to get into all of the epigenetic talks and i'm so excited about that before we get into it um a little bit more about you what 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 do you define as optimal health what does optimal health look like for you hannah
1: you know success means to me and and really optimal health i would say prioritizing yourself uh, you know to an extent and and what you need and especially when relating to your health having balance um or or you know Being able to say no to things that don't serve you necessarily, right? I think in today's uh, day and age, we always get caught up with what's next, what's next, what's next. It's really hard to slow down and focus uh, in the moment where we're constantly thinking about our our next step. So I really think being present um, is is a, a great path to success. You need to focus on what you're doing now to be able to change the outcome in the future. A lot, of, again, you know, you can think back to when you were a kid even and um, you, you you didn't care if you had a schedule or you didn't care if you never did X, Y, Z. But now as an adult, sometimes it always feels like we uh, have a ne- never-ending cycle or, or schedule that we have to follow. So I really think being present um, and, and, you know, slowing down, being able, being able to do things that serve you is, is what success and optimal health looks like to me.
0: Yeah, what a beautiful definition. And the word balance is... Uh, used so um, loosely these days, but I love that, you know, you included, you know, having the balance and being in the present moment as success and optimal health. It's absolutely key. So thanks for sharing that with us, Hannah. Mm -hmm. I really appreciate it let's get into today's topic i'm so excited and i'm pretty sure the audience is <laughs> the big question will aging be cured in my lifetime uh so before we even get into that question a lot of people um might not understand what actually aging is um what what is aging hannah
1: my well the definition of aging and i think a really great way to describe it is it is the loss of function over time it's dysregulation right it's where on the cellular level, the tissue level, the organ level, the system level, your cells aren't necessarily differentiated. They start to look more and more similar to one another. They start to give off signals that they aren't supposed to, right? If, if you know, A is trying to talk to B, it may be when you start to age that A is talking to C, which is not great right just as a, a small example so it's really that progressive loss of function that that degradation over time
0: i love that definition so simple uh, a lot of audience might be like oh she's gonna give us a science answer to this but i love the simplicity
1: the the question you know will aging be be cured in my lifetime Mahela? that is who a heavy loaded question that is a really good one um i don't know to be quite honest um you know it's it really comes down to lifespan versus health span. lifespan obviously being how long you live Health span being how healthy can you live until right you want to be 80 years old doing things that a 60 year that you could do when you were 60 years old right i, I don't know about everyone listening but i know when i'm you know, 80 years old. I want to be able to walk to the bathroom. I want to take my dog on a walk, right? I want to. I want to be able to do things um, that uh, you know require just your your nor- going about your regular, normal daily life. Um, so I, you know, if, if aging will be cured in our lifetime, I don't know, but I think we will be able to extend health span and lifespan, probably. Extend uh, health span more than lifespan. A big question right now in our space is again, if there is a cap on how long you can live. Um, but I, I definitely think we'll, we'll be able to increase health span. And, and we're already seeing that with the modality of, of interventional therapies.
0: I love that. Health span versus lifespan. And every, to- every time I talk to someone, most people want to extend their health span rather than their lifespan. And they're like, what's the point of living till I'm a 100 or a 100 and something if I'm not healthy? But the interesting question that you just said right there, is there a cap to our lifespan? Is there a cap?
1: <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, initially the, the experts in this space, and, and by initially I probably have met for the last five or 10 years or so, have really said that there wasn't. So if you go back and you look at a lot of papers, even from from 2021, I would say, um, and, and you type into Google, what's the limit for aging? You know, you'll see that actually the number of people over 100 is expected to reach 3.7 million by 2050. So that's a lot. Um, and all these new statistical analysis are, suge- are suggesting that there is no limit to the human lifespan and argues that it's theoretically possible a person could reach 130 years old so there's this concept of infinite longevity and you know it's much more complicated than that um so by statistical analysis they say sure we could live you know to 130 which is, is way far past than what we've, we've ever done currently um, but I would say a lot of uh, the professionals in our space who I talk with on a day-to-day basis definitely say there's going to be a cap somehow, right? And and we'll argue a lot of the statistical analysis points just from more of a biology-based perspective.
0: Yeah, I love that. I would love to sit around that table and listen to that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, be a fly Um, on the wall.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's interesting because I think in Australia, the average is 83.5 from memory, um, it's different for males yeah. and females, but I think the average is about eighty-three. So, looking at adding an extra what fifty years—that's crazy. Yeah,
1: yeah. I think the the US uh, is, is not as good as Australia. I think it's around seventy-seven years old. Um, but uh, yeah, so adding, like you said, about fifty years would would be insane.
0: <laughs> yeah. So come move to Australia, and you add a few more years anyway.
1: Yes, <laughs> I need
0: to. <laughs> i love that so a lot of people talk about you know aging our actual age but then some people talk about our biological age and people go oh i'm in this old but my biological age is this what does that mean
1: yeah this is a huge trend right now right everyone is talking about their biological age it's like this new big thing um and it's been around for a long time right now it's just getting a lot of publicity and i'll tell you why here in a second but they actually used to measure back in, in a, i believe around the 1980s they actually used to measure a biological age by how many cigarettes you smoked per day basically by your pack years which is a really crude measurement that's awful right um, correct we, we can talk more about you know how smoking affects your biological age but essentially they're what that means and what they're doing is they're separating these aging processes you have your chronological age which of course is the number of years you've been on this earth, but the biological age is really how you're aging at a cellular level. So, you know, after the the, the smoking, the the um, regulations and rules started to to define greater biological um, age markers. A lot of you listening may be familiar with the telomere length, right? That used to be the gold standard for uh, a biological age marker, but it's really again getting down to the cellular level. How is your body aging? How you know, we, we all live different lives, every single person listening, um, Mahela, you and I, right? So, so how are those um, external stimuli, those external factors and, you know, what we're eating, drinking, um, affecting us at the cellular level? That's essentially what your biological age is.
0: Yeah, I love that you explained that so simply. And some people (laughs) might be blown up and been like, what, there's a difference between how my cells age compared to how I age? Um, And you can see that, you can see that, right? Some people age a lot more and you're like, wow, you don't look that age. And it may have to do with their actual biological aging, how their cells are aging.
1: Exactly. And, And what you're defining right there, which is another great point, is really this idea of phenotypic variation, right? Um, you know, for Jennifer Aniston, I always give the example. She looks great for her age. She looks absolutely amazing. Um, not everyone her age, I believe she's she's around uh fifty, fifty some. Not everyone her age looks like that, right? And that's the idea of this phenotypic variation that chronological age is not a good measurement because we all know people who are thirty that look like they're fifty, right? You're you're probably thinking of someone right now, and we all know people who are fifty that look like they're thirty. So there has to be this, this other metric that gives us how we're aging on that cellular level.
0: Yeah. I've got so many questions going through my head, (laughs) but, but you you did mention smoking and so forth. So what would be like a number one or two or three risk factors that, um, that make us age, um, a, a biological age a lot faster.
1: Yeah, so, so backing up a little bit, why I hinted as to why this is is so popular right now is because if you have a biological age that's older than your chronological age, or you have, you know, a pace of aging that's increased or anything is accelerated in that aging area, your increased risk for mortality and morbidity skyrocket. So that's why it's really important to to measure this this biological aging process. So talking about the things which accelerate it is obviously very um, important, and it's crucial to know what accelerates it. Now it depends on the interpretation. There there's all these different biological age clocks, um, but I would say from a lifestyle perspective, a lot of the ones that affect it are things like you're smoking. Things like your drinking, people on on average who have alcohol use disorder, which I believe is about um, between five and seven drinks for uh, women per week and about double that for men, um, have a 2.22 year uh, age acceleration. Um, things like your BMI, your uh, air pollution even, right? And unfortunately, we can't just pick up and, and move uh, where we physically are, but things like Plastics and, and, you know, things uh, like uh, different microbes and and whatnot in in the air that we live in. Those can all accelerate that biological aging clock.
0: Yeah, and it's crazy because these are the things that I, as a naturopath, always blab on about. How much plastic do you have? Um, What's the air quality? Where do you live? All of these things. And now to put it out there and be like, this actually affects your aging, And then linking it back to what you said earlier, that aging is a huge factor for chronic disease. It's like, mm-hmm. it just all makes sense, right?
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. You're it's, it's again, kind of that, that pathway. It's like a domino effect. We hear people preach these things all of the time and then you put all those pieces together and it starts to click and it makes sense. So when, you know, when you just mentioned uh, again, if you, you, if you have an increased, epigenetic age it's really important to know that because aging is the number one risk factor for most chronic disease and death and, and I, I usually sound like a broken record because i'll say that a lot but what that means is is for example take the top three causes of death for 2020 in the u.s that would be heart disease that would be all types of cancer and that would be COVID 19. aging is the number one risk factor for all all three of those you know of course with your heart disease you have hypertension and smoking and obesity Aging is, you know, through the roof there. For cancer, you have alcohol, smoking, and obesity. Aging, again, through the roof um, in terms of the risk factor. For COVID-19, you have um, male sex. They have an increased risk. You have smoking and obesity, again, but aging beats it every single time. So biological aging is really dominating disease risk. Um, aging is an outwards projection of cognitive decline, arthritis, cancer, kidney disease, CVD, autoimmune disorders, type two diabetes, uh, immune decline. I, I even really like this example. You can take the healthiest 80 year old that has ever lived, and you can take the most unhealthy 20 year old that has ever lived. Huge age difference, right? However, the 80 year old is still the person who is at the most increased risk for all chronic disease and death just because of their age.
0: Yeah, I like that. You're kind of putting things in my head where I'm like, a lot of people go, well, uh, and I hear this a lot of people, they go, I can't change my age. I can't change how many years I've been on this earth, right? And that's talking about their chronological age. They can't change that. But what I'm kind of getting to and what we're going to get to is you kind of can change your biological age, right? Um, And therefore kind of maybe reduce the risk of those um, uh, diseases that are out there that Mm -hmm. are age-related. Uh, which is mind-blowing and I'm so excited to talk about that I'm like oh my gosh (laughs) but before we get into that let's let's back up a little bit I need to calm down (laughs) let's back up a little (laughs) bit and, and 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 talk about biological age and now that we know what it is how do we measure it? You said telomeres was an old way. And a lot of people would be like, what? That's an old way? That's like the newest way or that's like, um, you know, a new thing coming out. So how did they used to measure biological age and how do they measure it now? Are you able to give us a little bit more information about that?
1: Yeah. So, you know, again, it goes goes back to we, we talked about the the, uh, the, the smoking, um, you know, how much you, you smoked in a day. Um, And then I mentioned telomeres really briefly as the the first golden standard in the way to to measure biological aging. There's a really great paper that talks about all the ways you can measure biological aging. It was published back in 2017 um, that basically states telomeres have been studied the most out of any of the biological age predictors uh, available today. My theory is it's been studied the most because we still don't really know what the heck they do. Um, But basically, (laughs) they have very very low predictive power. So they're extensively validated they've been studied over and over again but their ability to predict outcomes is very low and and, and the definition of that is a hazard ratio So a hazard ratio is actually the ability of you know a to predict B um, so we're talking biological age predictors being able to predict mortality and morbidity. So telomere is going to be very, very low on that realm. Um, more recently, uh, really in 2011 and 2013 is when these first epigenetic methylation age clocks came out. And I know that's a mouthful. <laughs> and I know it sounds scary. Um, but all that means is basically the on and off switches, which control the expression of your genes. So um you know, a lot of your your listeners here are probably familiar with genetics, right? So let's compare genetics with epigenetics. They sound really similar. Um, when you think genetics, you think of your A's and your T's, your C's and your your G's. That's your baseline infrastructure DNA sequence. That does not change. You know, unless you're doing some some crazy gene editing or something of the sort. But that essentially which does is not out change.
0: there, and there's a lot of that happening, isn't <laughs> there? Yeah.
1: Very- <laughs> Valid, because when I say it doesn't change, you'll get those couple people who says, well, you know, it can, which is true. Um, So genetics baseline sequence, you know, for the most part, does does not change naturally. Um, Then you have your epigenetics. So epi is a Greek prefix, which means above. So when you're talking about epigenetics, think above your genes. So there are these little methyl markers, these CH3 groups. Um. That can be placed on top of your genes. That's what's called the DNA methylation. And if something is methylated, that means that it is turned off. You are not getting gene expression. So, just as an as as a real life example, think of a, a desktop. Think of a, a you know a really old large computer. The hardware is going to be your genetics, just the makeup, the the outside, you know, all of the pieces. But how it's talking and in, in the insides, the software, that's going to be your epigenetics. So mm-hmm. I know that can be, yeah, a, a little bit of a difficult example. You know, think of a, a light switch, really, DNA methylation. You want things to, you know, some things are turned on, some things are turned off. And and um, think of, of just your body, for example, your your eyes and your heart. We they, they have the same genetics. But what makes it your heart and what makes, you know, these your eyes? They're those on and off switches to DNA being expressed in some areas and being expressed in not. And DNA methylation is not good or bad. You know, a lot of times, Mihaela, um, you probably know when people think of methylation, they think of the MTHFR gene or the T gene in your methylation pathways. For this, you know, the purpose of, of today's talk, that is, is get that out of your mind. Think of, we're, we're just thinking of, um, again, switches on top of the DNA. Some things you want turned on, some things you want turned off. You want your oncogenes, your cancer genes to be turned off, but you want your tumor suppressor genes to be turned on.
0: I'm so glad that you mentioned uh, the MTFHR gene and the CMT gene and so forth, because a lot of people would think about that when they think about methylation. Mm-hmm. And then how simply you explained it, that no, it's got to do with the on and off buttons on the gene. And we all have, uh, we all have genes, like you said, and you know, naturally you can't change them. And then the, the thing here from what I'm understanding is that it is the on and off button on those genes uh, some we want on and some we want off and that is what impacts our biological age
1: Co- correct yeah wrapping that up so you know really um where those methylation markers to go a little bit more into the weeds they're going to sit on you on the positions uh, a, a basically a cpg and that stands for your cytosine and guanine location so your genes to two nucleotides with a phosphate bond holding them together. So these methyl markers sit on a CpG. There are about 28 million different methylation, uh, different CpGs in each cell type. So 28 million CpGs in each cell type. Right now, to date, we can only measure about between 800,000 and 900,000. That's basically the utmost you can you can physically test. So. Really when you're testing your biological age using epigenetic methylation markers, we're testing a percentage of methylation at each of those CPG locations. So a percentage of methylation at each of those locations again. And what that comes out as is a beta value. This is as granular as it gets. But the beta value is a number between zero and one. Zero means it's unmethylated. One means it's methylated and it's always going to fall somewhere in between. It's not binary. So, you know, we have, once we test your, your epigenetic methylation, we have about 800,000 and 900,000 of these beta values. And then we're going to use epigenetic clocks to interpret them for biological age. And those epigenetic clocks are going to be a combination or a mixture of, you know, artificial intelligence and, and machine learning. Um, you know, in the case of, of biological age, we're actually looking at, we're, we're asking ourselves the question, well, what methylation markers are changing? as you become older chronologically. So that's a really simple way to look at it.
0: Yeah, I love that. This gets me so excited. And oh my gosh, <laughs> you probably would have been so excited when you launched this, you're like, oh my God, I just wanna get it out to everyone. I want everyone to know their biological age and I want everyone to be able to take control, I guess, of their health mm-hmm. by knowing that.
1: Yeah, yeah, def- definitely. I, I like to say, um, well, someone actually said this to me on another podcast. We are able to shift our methylation markers in our favor right we're able to change them you are mostly in control you hear you know food is medicine or dna you know our dna is not our destiny all of those cliche little sayings those those are actually true
0: yeah yeah i i love that um Yeah, I love how you explained all of the on and off buttons to some (laughs) individuals. So this is what true diagnostic measures. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It it really comes down to the epigenetic clocks that you're using and and that interpretation, um, which leads me to a really great point. I'm glad you, you asked that question is uh you know you you'd want to make sure that you're using published validated algorithms in the literature to actually um interpret those because there are a lot of algorithms out there but you want to make sure that you're you're getting you know the the biggest bang for your buck you want to make sure that you're actually getting outcomes which you've asked the algorithm to perform
0: so what is the major difference between true diagnostic and maybe other companies that may be doing this
1: yeah, that would, I, I would say that's the most important. Number one, True Diagnostic uses only validated published algorithms. We hold ourselves to the highest scientific integrity level that there is out there, right? We want to make sure that we are giving our audience, our customers, our healthcare providers um, the best outcomes so that they can make informed decisions on their health. What's working? What's not working? What can I adjust? Um, so, so that is number one. I think, you know, n- number two, the scale, the scale of the the CPGs that we're measuring, which I just defined for you. So, um, the scale is very important, just because, you know, Mahela, you're when you you know send in your sample, uh, it's going to basically be backwards and forwards compatible, meaning that if we already ran your data. We're running the, the utmost we can, about 900,000 positions. So if the best, I don't know, say biological age predictor came out in five years, we would be able to use that algorithm and apply it to your data set that we already have. So you're, you're really getting a lot of value for how many positions that we're measuring. We're always gonna be growing in that realm. Um, and I would say, you know, number three, this goes with, with number one, but number three is, is the uh, sample type or the collection method. Um, so we actually do a blood based sample and, and that blood based sample is really important because all of the validated and published algorithms available are going to be created using blood. So um, it's, you know, we, we definitely don't recommend any type of saliva sample or any type of, of urine sample e- either. Uh, sometimes you'll, you'll even see urine samples out there. Um, and you know, again, a lot of ways I, I would say we we stick out compared to to other companies. But I'll I'll leave you with this one. I think this is important. It is uh, that we have our own lab. So I'm actually out of Lexington, Kentucky, and we built the lab from the ground up. So it's it's you know become our greatest asset. It's it's really fun. I'm glad we have it. Um, we're able to do a lot of research and collaborations that way. But that means that every sample that gets sent to us is run under our headquarters, our roof, we know who is running your sample. We're a a CLIA, CAP, CLEP certified lab, basically meaning that we check all the boxes, you don't have to worry about everything. We're following all of the most up to date uh, rules and regulation.
0: Yeah, thanks for sharing that with us, Hannah. A lot of individuals might be like, hmm, "What's the difference?" Because there's so many things out there. They're kind of interested to know their biological age, and they're like, "Well, what what is the difference? Why should I choose this one instead of another one?" But I love how you explain that to us. Um, so we, we we so the individual does the test, like they get a little kit, which I've got here, which I'm so excited to do, and I'm going to do it, and I'll put it up. I'm I'm a bit like, oh, what, what's my age? But it's all good because – and I guess that's how the audience might be feeling too. They might be like, you know what, let's say they're 40-year-olds and, and they get their test back and it says like 55. And, that, I mean, that could be a little bit depressing in a way for some. But what what is the benefit of finding it out? Like what can you – what can you like do? Or like first let's go before that, before that question is, is like, why would their age be 55 instead of it being 40, which is their chronological age? What are the factors mainly that could impact them? Um, uh, Got um, may age people faster. And you've mentioned smoking, you've mentioned drinking, air quality, food, and so many other things. There's an actual study that I found that even major depressive disorder accelerates cellular aging, um, what are your thoughts on this? Is there anything else that you want to add on to it? Is there any other things that may accelerate cellular aging?
1: Yeah, no, that is uh, another great, great question, especially when it comes to this, because there are so many things that accelerate that biological aging process. I think it's nice to be aware of those those different factors, especially if we're in control for some of them. So, um, you know, there's a really great uh, systematic review. It's called a systematic review of biological, social, and environmental factors associated with epigenetic clock acceleration where they look at about 156 plus publications which report on factors related to accelerated epigenetic aging and they look at four main clocks and they all agree in direction of those effects but they vary in size so i'm just going to um list off some some other things that they they go over um we mentioned smoking you mentioned depression that's another one that this study includes they also talk about poor lung function physical activity, low education level, alcohol we mentioned, right? Low socioeconomic status, low education level. I mentioned your BMI or your body mass index, um, even things like schizophrenia, your metabolic syndrome. Um, so, you know, being a male even. So, so to any any men listening, um, we've always known that, that men uh, tend to die a little bit uh, younger. So there's always been that sex paradox. But it's even been studied. A a article came out recently showing that men are biologically, on average, four years older than women. So, it's that's such a great question, Mahela, because not only are there you know disease types which accelerate these, but there some some of them are epidemiological, which means that for the most part, they're they're in our control. So, if we can identify those, and again change our habits or change our ways, um, we will get different outcomes. Our methylation markers will, will shift, uh, differently, hopefully in our favor.
0: Yeah, that that's, that's amazing. I love that. I love that you referred to a study and I would love to get the link to us. I can also put it down in the show notes. Yeah. Um, and there's so many factors that affect it. And I mean look, individuals might do the test, like I said, and then they come back and they go, they might get a bit down and be like, Oh, I'm so old biologically, my cells are so old, they're aging so old. Um, what is the solution? Like, okay, so you measure it, you you got the number. What what do you do then? Like what happens then?
1: Oh yeah, you know, there's an entire Treatment framework that we can really go over. Um, a lot of conversations. You know, I'm I'm. My title is the director of operations at True Diagnostic, but I really work day in and day out with our healthcare providers, letting them know how to use our test in a clinical application and reviewing results with them and what they mean and what. Would be the best intervention to actually change those methylation markers so i'm really that liaison with all of our healthcare providers so i have this conversation all the time it's one i love um i really break it down into four different uh, categories so on the bottom you have your lifestyle factors right the lifestyle factors i believe truly mean the most here because if you don't address the lifestyle factors it's really like putting a bandage over the problem and not really addressing and fixing that root cause, right? Root cause is, is a really big trending word right now in, in this, this preventative space because we need to figure out, um, you know, again, why you're not feeling good, maybe why your balance has been off, why your grip strength has been off, why you walk into a room and you don't remember why you're there, right? Those are all signs of aging. You're declining, right? You're, you're not as, as able to, think properly again, or in the case of balance, you know, stand up as straight, or again, grab things in your hand. Those are all associated with advanced aging. So from a lifestyle perspective, there's even more subcategories you can break it down to. Um, Things like your stress, lower your stress levels. That is absolutely significant. Um, That is something I need to work on. I'm usually a ball of stress, um, just naturally um but things like meditation or breathing exercises reading writing you know whatever does it for you um sleep we want to get uh quality sleep and quantity sleep so sleep is really huge too um a lot of you listening probably have an aura ring or a different way to actually track your sleep and see if anything is off in that realm um and then there's diet you know eat whole foods Everyone eat eat uh, you know, natural foods, nothing artificial, nothing really processed um, and restrict your calories. OK, so caloric restriction is not the easiest interventional, uh, you know, intervention or protocol by any means. But um, that is one of the biggest, I would say, uh, one of the studies with the most evidence is that eating less, just about 10 percent overall caloric restriction is going to help lower a lot of those aging outcomes. Um, the last Lifestyle realm is going to be fitness. So fitness is a little bit harder. Um, all we know right now really about fitness is we love a mix of aerobic and anaerobic exercises. So make sure you're changing what you're doing. And, and instead of calling it exercise or, or working out, I like to say move your body. Move your body about five times a week if you can. And, you know, doing yoga, stretching and walking, those are all considered, you know, moving your body. So so you know I, I'm one to uh, usually want to run or you know I have to sweat to think I'm making progress, but um, we don't need to see that all of the time. We need to give our body a, a break and, and teach it different ways to actually get get more of a again, a, a response to to aerobic and, and both anaerobic.
0: Anna, thank you so much. You've just shared absolutely amazing information about lifestyle, diet, fitness, let's dig into a little bit about the exciting part that most people are really excited to talk about, which would be supplement and medication. Would there be any supplement or any medication? I mean, this is also talk to your healthcare advisor and so forth, for putting it out there, but does the research say anything about supplements and medications to extend potential life span?
1: Yeah, definitely. This is probably one of the most popular questions I would say that we get, right? Everyone wants to know What are things that I can do to actually reduce or change, shift those methylation markers in in my favor? So starting out with supplements, my number one recommended supplement that is heavily backed by the literature is going to be vitamin D. And I don't think that's a surprise to anyone, right? Vitamin D is, is receiving a lot of press Right now in the media, um, especially well, I know around here when it's winter time, we're not able to get as much maybe from from the sun as we would like. Um, but studies do show that about four thousand to six thousand IU um, of uh, that vitamin D supplementation per day is going to show improvements. There's about four different studies that it shows improvements on uh, with major epigenetic age clocks as well. So it's not only improving one area of epigenetic age clocks, but a couple of them too. So it makes it very exciting. I still think there needs to be uh, more studies done, but usually again, rule of thumb is, is anywhere from 4,000 to 6,000 IU per day.
0: Yeah. That's so interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you think about that too, it's kind of like, yes, check your vitamin D levels, but at the mm-hmm. same time, ensure that your liver and kidneys are functioning to an optimal level because without them functioning well, you're not going to get the conversion of the proper vitamin D.
1: Yep, exactly. It all goes back to that mechanism of action too, which is, is why I love working with our, our healthcare providers at, at True Diagnostic because alongside with their their epigenetic methylation testing or measuring their biological age markers, um, the healthcare providers that I work with, which I'm sure you're, you fall in the same boat, but you're also going to measure a lot of those uh, laboratory values too. So you can use them together because I don't think, you know, there's hopefully epigenetic methylation will be this in the future, but there's not really one test where you can get all of those different outcomes. So it's nice to look at them synergistically.
0: Yeah. I love that. Is there anything else like vitamin C, curcumin, coQ10, collagen, um, anything else that uh, literature kind of backs up in regards to (laughs) anti-aging (laughs)
1: anti-aging? Yeah. Yeah. No, you're, you know, again, pushing and, and wanting more data behind the, these, these metrics. I think one of the most exciting things about epigenetic methylation testing is its ability. Um, however, it is very limited just because it is so new. Um, there is another study, though, I do want to bring up. It's actually called uh, Dietary Intervention Modifies DNA Methylation Age Assessed by the Epigenetic Clock. And I really like this study because it's taking together two OMIC components. It's taking together your genomics and then your epigenomics. So your genetics and your epigenetics and what it states is that women in particular with the mthfr 677cc variant are going to have an increased biological age and same with men who have uh that same variant but it's going to be the mthfr 677tt so they're going to have these increased biological ages however and they only noticed this in women and i'll, I'll speculate as to why at, at the end here um when they supplemented with uh, a methylated cofactor like 5-methylfolate or methylcobalamin they actually saw almost an instantaneous reversal of that biological age um by uh you know a, a statistically significant amount so What's happening is you're giving the body hypermethylation. So if you're giving the body hypermethylation with those um, methylated cofactors, you're turning some things off that we don't want to be turned uh, that we don't want to be turned off. You're regulating that methylation pathway, right? Um, so that's hypermethylation. However, remember in our case methylation is not good or bad. So when we think of our our global DNA methylation, it's almost like a a seesaw or or a teeter-totter, where on the other side, you want to have hypomethylation. So you want to have less methylation because less methylation means you're turning some things on, you're getting those genes to be expressed. Um, And some things for hypomethylation are going to be your flavanols. So we're really big fans of the EGCG, green tea extract, for example, um, any of the, the citrus bergamot as well, or or excuse me, the the berberine. Um, so so all of those would be considered um, hypomethylators. So again, it's all about balancing it. So they saw the reversal in women, but not men. And I don't think they saw the reversal in men. Unfortunately, for for you listening, just because they dosed them the same. Um, so I think if you if you you know obviously there's there's a dosing issue with um, you you're going to have to give different dosing to different people. So that's why I think you don't see the same reversal in men
0: that is so interesting. Mm-hmm. And I love that you mentioned that because even though your genes may say one thing, um, there are things that you can do in your lifestyle, in your diet, in your life that may be able mm-hmm. to change it and may be able to work more beneficially for you.
1: Right. Right. Absolutely. So those are, are two, I would say very, um, well, you know, curated studies in, in the epigenetic methylation space.
0: Amazing. Uh, Let's jump onto medications. I know that clearly you have to talk to your doctor and so forth, but we're just looking at what the research says. Um, Tell us a little bit about this.
1: Yeah, so medication, um, you know, medication can mean a different definition in, in different, uh, you know, countries or, or states even. Um, so one of them that I'll throw out there that uh, we don't have a, a isolated interventional trial for, but what was included in the TRIM trial um, with Doctor Greg Fay Dr. would be a DHEA. So, um, you know, that can be, I would say, supplement medication, depending on on where you live. Um, but the reason we're really big fans of DHEA, and they did about 50 milligrams in their study. Their study was, was all men, so it makes sense that it was a higher uh, amount of DHEA. Um, but we think they saw the large reversal in their study due to the DHEA for its um, ability to mitigate your cortisol levels, because on the clock which they saw reversal about a third of those positions, those methylation markers, are on or near glucocorticoid receptor elements. So we know that stress has a huge effect, as I talked about earlier, um, on accelerating that biological age. So I, I personally think, uh, you know, DHA is one that, that we will have to keep our eye out and see additional research to come out, um, you know, for, for premenopausal women, could be anywhere from 2.5 to 5 milligrams. I would say um, again, uh, if, if you're postmenopausal, uh, you could get away with doing a little bit higher dosing, like 10 milligrams to even 50 milligrams. But definitely consult with with your healthcare provider. Um, you know, uh, I'll, I'll say the the last medication uh, I'll go over, or you know, I would say it's a combination of a supplement and, and more of a medication, um, is going to be the quercetin uh, and desatin data. So um that's going to be more of that synalytic combination, where uh, I'm sure a lot of your listeners are familiar with the, the quercetin. It's going to be that flavonol. You can get it through a specific food intake, or you can take a supplement. Um, and then desatinib, this may be a relatively new one. It is actually FDA approved for chronic myeloid uh, leukemia and used at very, very high dosing to help kill and turn over some of those cancer cells. Um, and, and it's taken much more frequently by cancer patients as well. Um, however, if you dose it very, very small with that quercetin, we do about um, 50 milligrams disatinib, 500 milligrams quercetin, three consecutive days in a row for six months um, is the protocol we did in uh, a particular clinical trial. We do see better epigenetic age reversals and things happening with, uh, within the immune cell subsets that are more favorable. So um, the, the senolytic Supplements and compounds and medications, wh- whatever you you wish to call those um, formulas, uh, I think look very promising too. They're definitely changing something in that epigenome.
0: Yeah! Wow, this is absolutely mm-hmm. amazing. You shared some absolutely amazing. Um, little tips with us, research studies, and and it's quite interesting because what you said about is if we uh, kind of like what I've imagined is if you go outside in the sun, if you walk a lot or exercise, lift some weights, if you eat a really healthy whole food diet, um, and if you don't stress too much, you're kind of hitting all of those um, things that we spoke about without even taking medication, without even taking supplements. Um, you're kind of looking after yourself.
1: Oh, definitely. Mm-hmm.
0: I love that. Look, Hannah, is there anything else you want to share with us um, for the natural podcast on this absolutely amazing episode today? Um, Anything else that you want to share about?
1: You know what? I I just want to thank you. This has been great. Yeah, I, I really appreciate your time, Mahela. This has been, um, you know, an amazing opportunity. I'm I'm really happy that you're you're able to share this with with all of your listeners. Um, if anyone has any other questions, they can direct them to you, Mahela. You can send them over to me. I'm happy to answer. Happy to, to talk with anyone who wants to chat further about epigenetics. I love that. Before we let you go, one last
0: question. What is your natural health hack, Hannah? What do you do every day, once a month, that really gets you healthy?
1: yeah this is a this is a good one i would say something i've been better about and again it's i i know i mentioned it previously it's it's really looks promising in reversing the the biological aging um is eating less um caloric restriction i would say you know i've i've been been practicing that i usually a smaller lunch or do 24 hour fast once a week or even once a month but um you know, we have to always ask ourselves the question before we, are we actually hungry or are we just doing this because it's, it's a habit. And, you know, uh, maybe, uh, half the time you'll find yourself answering that. It's just, it's just a habit. So I, I really think that, um, books looks promising and, extending our longevity.
0: I love that. Thank you so much for sharing your valuable knowledge and information with us Hannah today. Um, And thank you so much for joining us on a natural podcast. And remember the missing link between failure and success is your help.
2: provided here is the opinion of Mahaila Raguse and is for information purposes only and does not constitute medical advice. It is not intended to provide medical advice or take the place of medical advice or any current treatment you're undertaking. Consult your own medical professionals for any medical issues that you may be having. This entire disclaimer also applies to any guests or contributors to the Natural Health Podcast. It is advised that you consult your doctor or healthcare professional in relation to any health concerns you may be having. Mahela Raguse does not take responsibility for any health consequences which occur from a person listening, viewing or reading this content. Under no circumstances, shall Natural Podcast, Mahaila Raguse, any guests or contributors to the Natural Podcast or any employees, associates or affiliates of Mahaila Raguse be responsible for damages arising from the information provided on the Natural Podcast. By listening to this podcast, you agree not to use this podcast as medical advice to treat any medical conditions in either yourself or others. Please note, if you're taking prescription, do not stop your medication or start a new protocol, including but not limited to supplements. Diet lifestyle changes without consulting a doctor or healthcare professional. If you or any person has a medical concern, you should consult with your healthcare provider or seek other professional medical advice. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something that you have read or heard on the Natural Podcast or in any linked materials. If you think you may have a medical emergency, call your doctor or emergency services immediately. Neither Mahala Raguz nor the publisher of this context takes responsibility for the possible health consequences of any person or persons reading or listening or following the information in the education content.